Welcome to Iconic, where we talk about all things 13th Age. I'm your host, JM, and with me as always are Nick and Mark. Hey. Hello. We are once again joined by Becca. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, glad to have you aboard. So since the last time we recorded, we have three new patrons. Nick, you want to give our shout out to our new patrons? Yeah. Thanks, Adrian, Scott, and Nicholas for becoming patrons of the Iconic Podcast. Uh, We're getting really, really close to hitting our first goal and are already working a little bit behind the scenes on some of those um, brainstorming conversions. So I'm looking forward to it. So do we need to put a brought to you by listeners like you? We could. Like at the bottom? Anybody remember that? I know Mark probably remembers that. Uh, no. No? It would be fitting. Wouldn't it be PBS? I like it was PBS. Well, we have a great show for you this week. Um, we are doing our review of a third-party product called Dark Packs and Ancient Secrets by Martin Kilman. He has put together a book of six new classes, and we're just going to go through it, give you a high-level review, kind of our thoughts on it, and yeah. So, what is Dark Packs and Ancient Secrets? It's a third-party book, and if you recognize the name Martin K. from Vault of the 13th Age, he has been putting stuff up on there since basically it went live. I first came across him because I was looking at his additional talents and features and powers for each of the new classes, and I was incorporating them into some of my 13th Age games. And then he was like, oh, hey, I've got the Sword Mage. Oh, I'll check that out. And... Over a couple of years, he kind of put together this book, I think between season one and season two of Iconic. That sounds about right. So yeah, we're just going to go over each class, give you our high-level review of it, kind of core mechanics, what we like about it, what we don't like about it, and then summarize whether we think it's worth getting or not. As I said, there's six classes, and the classes are the Abomination, the Fate Weaver, the Scion, the Savage, the Sword Mage, and the Warlock. So again, we're just going to kind of lightly review each one. So the first one we'll talk about is the Abomination. The theme there is the beast within. You're a failed experiment. Uh, something is wrong that sets you apart. Uh, examples I would think would be like Frankenstein. He's alive, but he's obviously an abomination. Uh, beast from Beauty and the Beast, things of that nature, or Poison Ivy, that kind of thing. We were not quite the species that you think you are. Something's right. different. Maybe a, maybe a lycanthrope that can't change back. Can't into change an, back. You, you've changed and you can't, unless you can take a thing where you can shift, but normally you're just different. The core mechanic is you're, you have flexible attacks like a fighter, but you are more like a barbarian. You just kind of rip through the enemy, but you have some flexibility on how you do that, uh, which is kind of neat, I think. And when you say rip through the enemy, you're talking like with your yeah, this isn't a stand back. Yeah, this isn't a stand back and support uh, with powers or spells. This is a frontline guy who or gal or thing that rip just rips in. Yeah, with teeth and claws, tail, uh, even a breath weapon, and it depends how you kind of design your character. And you're up there, you know, tearing into the enemy. Well, that's something that I really liked about it. Is you know, you've got you're doing a D8. You're, you basically only have natural weapons and armor, but they give you. You start off with. Slightly better than average light armor, D8s for your melee weapons, which are your your hands, and you have two-weapon fighting, and as Mark said, a breath attack. But then you get to basically build your abomination as you want. Your talents are where you say, oh, well, I want bigger, you know, bigger claws or mm-hmm. wings or... And you pick a native element that you want to be part of, uh, or as a part of you, fire, acid, ice, and that's that's part of uh, one of the class features you can do. So yeah, you can go, you can be the ice abomination, or you can be, you know, the plant thing. Yeah, my favorite part was the monstrous stunt. You, you didn't catch that? It's on page 12 when you get the book, or PDF. <laughs> that's when you can basically just do some incredible feat of strength, right? Uh, yeah, you, you uh-huh. use a stunt that makes use of your transformed mm-hmm. body, you know. If you're more simian-like, you can, you know, swing through the trees or the chandelier and do something. It's not direct combat, but you can do something, you know, swing from your prehensile tail or fly with your wings or something like that. So something similar to, like, the rogue <laughs> swashbuckling talent. Yeah, that one's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. It wasn't a direct combat boost or something like that that I thought had a nice story flavor. What about, you can use it in combat, you know, to get across the battlefield, but it doesn't have a, a direct thing. Right. It, it's something that your imagination kind of fills in yes, in it, the combat. Definitely a creative character can have a lot of fun with that, I think. 
What about the rest of you? What were some of either the mutations or the powers that kind of stood out to you with this class? Well, I, I really liked the harmless transformation, you know, being able to take that monstrous form and then transform back into a more uh, societally accepted form um, and then being able to toggle back and forth between those two. I, I could see that there being a lot of uh, really interesting role playing opportunities there, um, even down to, you know, like the uh, Hulk and Bruce Banner dynamic mm -hmm. where the Hulk doesn't want to come out. And yet Bruce still needs to go out and fight the bad guy. Anyway, I can see there being a lot of really interesting uh, role-playing opportunities uh, in that. Uh, and then also, you know, trying to, that, that makes it a little bit easier going from the combat encounters to more of the social encounters without breaking things too badly. And uh, one of my characters in my Numenera game is playing basically this type of concept. And uh, the whole time I was, I was reading through this, I'm thinking, yeah, this, this is Kyle. Through and through, this is Kyle. Even <laughs> to the point of taking like other body parts and grafting it onto himself for bonuses. Yeah, that's, that's totally Kyle. <laughs> I think with this whole book overall, it gives mechanics to your storytelling elements. And in the abomination, being able to do the monster stunts, being able to graft things onto your body, it gives you a mechanic for that. Versus just saying, I want to do this and it's not really going to be useful when it comes down to the dice rolling. Yeah. So that's a, and, and I think that's throughout all six of these. They're very storytelling, very story oriented. And yet now we have mechanics for it. What was uh, one of the mechanics that stood out to you? There was, there was a couple maneuvers. There was one that was angry flailing, which just makes me giggle thinking about a character slapping arms, hands, claws, tentacles in an angry flailing manner. But in that you do give some damage to your enemy and you take some yourself. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, well, you missed, you still got to slap them and you also accidentally whacked yourself on the back of the head. Yeah. That one's a lot of fun. I really like mad genius, which is one of the talents because that really just kind of fits into the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, mm -hmm. Hulk and Bruce Banner. The reason you are like this is because you experimented on yourself. And sometimes your old intelligence kind of comes back at each quick rest or full heal up. You roll a D6. If it's even, your intelligence increases by that amount. If it's odd, it decreases by that amount. And you get a five-point genius background. What do you think this class adds to the pool of 13th age classes that either may have been, I don't want to say missing, or you know, what what does this add new to the thirteenth yeah. age class pool? At first pass, I thought, oh, this is just a take on the shifter, and it kind of is. You're you're different, but from it's the not druid, right? The druid shifter yeah. ability where you change, but there you're changing into the honey badger or the bear or always oh, the honey badger, the honey badger. Yeah, the hell. That's, that's the first choice. Um, this is different because you are that being, and then if you, unless you take harmless form to change back, be like, no, don't chase away the monster. He's with us. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's a different flavor than, than, than the shifter. So mm -hmm. as I was rereading it in preparation for this episode, I really, I feel like if you were going to do like a Gothic 13th age, like a Ravenloft 13th age, this would be a great character, just theme Mm -hmm. the monster who wants to be a hero. So mostly you're the werewolf, and if you can, you can harness your anger and mm -hmm. change back into the human yeah. or, you know, the half vampire, half werewolf. Half elf. Half elf. Yeah, half all bad at math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, any final thoughts on the abomination before we move on? Again, we're just doing high-level... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of tier talents and, and maneuvers and all that, but it is very flexible. And I, again, a lot of it's story point, but if you want to be a fighter that's different, you're not swinging a sword, mm -hmm. but you still want to do monstrous damage, this might be your guy. Now, and I, I haven't used many of them at the table, but I know that Martin did a lot of playtesting for this book, and he's doing an equal amount of playtesting for the new one that's coming out. So as a GM... I actually feel very comfortable about dropping any of these classes into the game. I didn't, in reading through all the powers, there was nothing that was like, oh, I don't know. I think, was it in our Amnethyst review in season one where we were like, this one seems really powerful. No, these seem different, but in line with all of the other classes in 13th Age. Yeah, I'd agree with that. 
one thought that kind of came as we were talking about the abomination class here is it, it'd be interesting if, and, and I haven't taken a look at it to see if how easily this would be done. But if you're playing a game that has more of a like a corruption feel to it, uh, maybe as the characters are leaning more into the corruption elements, gaining more and more of these abomination ta uh, talents and uh, abilities and that sort of maybe thing. even multi-classing into yeah. it at some point during the campaign. I don't know how well, how that would well play out at the table, but um, maybe they're cursed. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Now I want to play a sorcerer who about level four multi-classes into an abomination when his magic goes completely awry. <laughs> oh, that sounds very right. Good. That sounds awesome. Right. You know, speaking of with the chaos mage and how they occasionally heal you and then give you a tail. This kind of then allows... Or a second tail. Or, I mean, or a second <laughs> tail. I apologize. Um, this yes. then allows like you to actually do something with that because it's like, oh, your tail didn't go away. The Chaos Mage has cast that one too many times on you. You're stuck with it now. Well, I think as gamers, we talk about game balance. But in like Nick's case, if you were giving everyone an extra talent from the Abomination, it would not break the game. Right. I was thinking the consequence, iconic die roll consequence of, okay. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. You, yeah you, you, you've done your thing. Oh, yeah, you got that tail. It's permanent. Uh, Even yeah. if it's first time, you just, yeah, that tail doesn't go away. Yeah, I like that too. All right. Well, that's the abomination. Nick, you want to give us our overview of the Fate Weaver? Yeah, the, the Fate Weaver is, is a class that I think is it's designed to kind of fit that, that mold of interacting with the threads of fate that are interwoven across past, present, future, and then being able to um, tug at those different threads to have actual um, effects that you want to go off um, in the game. And like you were saying, Becca, there's mechanical ways of doing that. And a lot of that is played out with the core mechanic being that you, you create focus and then so as your standard action on your turn, you gain focus through uh, meditation, and then you are able to cast that as an interrupt action on other people's turns to do something. A lot of the abilities are reactive to, you know, somebody misses or somebody rolls a particular odd or even die roll, um, and then you could trigger additional attacks or heals, um, or even interacting with the dice itself. You know, forcing someone to roll two or three d20s, you take the highest one and the lowest one, and you give one to the GM, one to the player, um, and then that's going to be your next roll. Sometimes even things like saying, you know, Mark, don't roll for initiative this time, you're going to get a 10 plus my level. And that's going to be your initiative um, or different things like that. I, I felt like it's a class that, that kind of breaks that fourth wall of gaming and says, we are playing a game and here are some ways that I can bend the rules a little bit to swing it into our favor. It is a support class and by itself, it's not going to do well, but it, I think it would really shine if it was in a party of three or four other players. As I was looking at it, probably my favorite parts that stood out to me was the bonds talent and 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 that one gives you additional almost like background points but connections between your character and the other characters so that if the other characters are trying something then you can step in using that that fated bond and give them a bonus to their role and i like it to the point where i'm trying to figure out if there's a way for me to actually incorporate that as a standard house rule in 13th age games because we have mm. the backgrounds Right. which tie your character into the world and say, I am here. I'm not just going to show up, but I have a history behind my character. But I think it'd be interesting to have uh, an additional point or a bond point, one per player at the table, and then maybe say how you okay, clump these points together based on whichever the characters are. And whenever they're doing something, if you want to help give them a plus one or a plus two to their role, narrate the connection you guys had before we started here how does that play out? Would you use it in combat or just no, okay. no. And skill just like test? Background. Like background. Just like a skill yeah. test or a background, yeah. yeah. And not all of the Fate Weaver spells are interrupt. They actually have a lot of actions they can take on their turn as long as they have focus or can expend focus. Right. And yeah. some of the abilities um, or some of the spells that you can cast, like they, there's a like a level one effect, but then if you expend your focus on it, it doubles the effect or it extends the range of it. Uh, or instead of affecting one ally, you can affect two allies, um, that sort of thing. Yeah, I like that idea of the focus. When you expend it, it makes the spell you're casting just a little bit better. Yeah. Almost like gathering power or right. anything. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I like the bond thing, and I would... Maybe start it with one that they mm -hmm. can spend around. But then, like, just from our local game store, Maris and 
Kawanishi should have a bond of four or five by now. They're one of the original members of the Heroes of Harrowdale. So they've done stuff and saved each other, and that's how you award more of, oh, okay, well, remember Mamera saved me? Well, hey, here's... Yeah, no, know, I like I've that. I've got more points. And, and it kind of and that's something pushes you, people to interact with other people at the table. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something you could hand out as a, a, a boon for good role-playing. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and say, okay, yeah. that, that was a really good social encounter. I'm going to give you guys an extra plus one to this bond that you guys have. Well, and it ties yeah. back to our good player episode that, that encourages people to draw other players and characters into one into their stories and invest in other stories around them. Mm-hmm. Right now, Kaoni, she's bonded with everyone because she saved. I saved Pip. Pip. Oh, Pip. I flew and I saved him. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm running Eyes of the Stone Thief at our local game store and Pip was almost eaten by buildings. It was almost eaten <laughs> by <laughs> buildings. Together. Yeah. I pulled him out. Sorry, I missed it. Me too. <laughs> yes, we are too. <laughs> what are some other uh, mechanics or the, things that stood out to you guys? The one, I, I first I wrote down the bonds of minus. I thought that was really neat. Then continuing on to third level spell, bargain with death. And this is right up Jam's alley. That's the one I was Close going. quarter spell, daily free action. You or a nearby alley or the target. Trigger. The target failed a death save or last gasp save. And the Fate Weaver goes, wait. Failed rolls of success. He hands the original die roll to the GM, and the GM gets to use it any time in the future for that target to go. No, no, no! You didn't roll a crit. You rolled this too. And any it says yeah. on any ro- failed save. That was the one I was looking at too. Yeah, like, like, I would. Wow. I would want a little bit of narration, but yeah, that's a great power. Yeah, you have to. You know, I would try to get a lot of these powers and spells yeah. to get them to narrate what, what happened. But that's a great power to hand back to the GM to go. Okay, yeah, you know, you 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 passed your death save. And that's a good example of how these type of uh, mechanics are balanced. You know, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. on the front end, they're very weighted in favor of the players, but they are also balanced by giving the power back to the GM as well right. to, to turn it around at an appropriate time. Yeah. This class really reminds me of 7C. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the Vidachi Fate Witch, just yep. even in the way that it, it plays out at the table, which is like games that have numbers in it. <laughs> what about you, Becca? Um, I think this is a talent, uh, the Mortal Vessel. And once per day, when unconscious or even dead, your avatar of power manifests itself and you can still cast spells. Yeah, that one's awesome. And I was like, I mean, you know, you don't necessarily want to throw that one out in the first battle of your day. But when you're getting low on recoveries and everyone else is getting low on recoveries in that last final double strength battle and you go down, you're like, well, no, I might be down physically, but I'm still here. Right. Yeah, I I liked it. I thought it brought a, it kind of in my mind riffs a little bit off the commander and the occultist, mm-hmm. like the way, especially the occultist, with the way you gather focus and you you expend it. Also, interestingly, I don't think these first two really have a an analog to previous D twenty gaming classes. Would you agree, Mark? Yeah, no. Yeah. The closest is maybe if you had a shifting ability or your curse with lycanthropy that you changed. But right. That really wasn't controlled. Yeah, that was. I mean, maybe a prestige class somewhere buried deep in the three. Yeah, I don't remember. Three O days. Just oh wait, there was place. a ranger ability in second edition. The ranger could assume an animal form because I had one that could turn into a tiger. Nice. GM hated it. <laughs> was it a honey tiger? No, no. This tiger did care. <laughs> this tiger. That's right. That's right. He cared, yeah. Well, one of the reasons I got this book is because two of my favorite classes in all of D20-dom were the Sword Mage, which we'll talk about in a bit, and was, I love psionics, like going all the way back to second edition. Mark is giving me the I don't like psionics look. I grew up when psionics, well, the first group I played in, and a regular campaign. I didn't play a cyan, but the poor guy who did every time, because there's tables. First mm-hmm. edition is full of tables. Every time he tried to do something, something would show up. Brain devourer, growl, something that he attracted. Mm. It was kind of like, just let the guy play. It's not, it wasn't overpowered at all, at all. Not until later levels, but at the beginning, you were like the wizard with a D4 and don't touch me because I might break. Yeah, poor guy. Yeah. So they didn't first didn't really have I think the best rules for it. Mm. So it was kind of neat, but yeah. By second or even third edition, they were pretty, you know, 
Soul Blade and yeah, yeah. Steffi played a Soul Blade. Broke my game. <laughs> yeah, so I was very excited to see Martin put the Scion in here. So Becca, you're gonna, you're actually going to be playing one in my weekly Thirteenth Age game. I am at so. least for one session. At least one session. <laughs> hey, I'm not the one who's like lawfully evil, so I'll survive. Yeah. yeah. But um, you want to give us an overview of it? I do. So again, the Scion, it's it is very mm, science fiction versus fantasy in the idea of it. Um, when I was reading through it and I chose it, was thinking of River from Firefly going, I can kill you with my brain. And that's really what I'm looking forward to doing. Killing people with brains. Mm-hmm. My brain, I think. Yeah, not throwing brains at people. That's not nearly as effective. That would be You'd an be abomination surprised. move. If they're still inside the skull, it could hurt. Yeah, possibly. Right? <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting class. You use PowerPoints. And I find them very similar to the key points with the monk class. Mm -hmm. And I believe Martin had left a comment. On on the Discord server, there was a a conversation about the Scion class. And uh, Martin had just made a comment about the the balance of uh, the Scion points and using them. And uh, his comment was that the Scion class is intentionally designed to constantly tempt the Scion into you only live once blasting out all of their points. Yeah. And, And I definitely can see that. And... And so I'm kind of glad that I've been playing the monk, which I have a certain number of key points. Mm-hmm. And then if I use them all in the first battle, I'm, I'm kind of hosed. And so knowing that you need to save your PowerPoints, one of the big differences is you can meditate during a short rest and gain a PowerPoint or two back. Mm-hmm. And with talents, you can kind of mm-hmm. fiddle with that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so you typically start with five and then just about everything that you do, all of your powers cost a PowerPoint and then you can bump them. By spending more. Mm-hmm. That's the blast effect. Yeah. Some of them are variable. You can spend one to five to boost this. It's like, yeah. really? Now, can we take a digression here real quickly? Because I want to talk about the Siam. But can we talk about the art in this book? There are some really great pieces in this book. Like Forgeborn, Scion. Yeah, that... I love that picture. Yeah, it was very inspirational. Mm-hmm. For nice sure. picture. I didn't... Warforged, Dwarven Forge, Scions, to me, don't... In my head, don't make sense. This... But then again, I'm playing a dwarf forged paladin and has no emotion. No emotion. He's, he's, it's different because you're a construct. That's what I'm taking it. I'm a construct. Not. Well, and psionics, in at least in D20 history, have usually been linked with the far realm. So like Illithids, Gith Yankees, and Gith Zeri, Gith Zeri, anything that is like more Cthulian. Mind flares. Mm. Those are those are where psionics tend to come from from the Mad Realm, and. Yeah. So, what what are your some of your favorite uh, powers or talents in this class? Um, well, with the talents, you only get three for the entire time that you're playing, and that's then what you specialize in. Mm-hmm. So, whether that's creating things, ripping things apart, um, yeah, you can hit harder for some things, or you can make reality shift around you. Uh, you don't have any armor, and you have very basic weapons, but there's a power for that, right. and so. It is very tempting probably to use all of your PowerPoints right away. Um, there's there's quite a few of the powers that I saw, especially on later levels, that I'm excited about. The what? Give us one. Seventh level ectoplasmic golem. Yes. <laughs> yes. Golem. <laughs> oh, man. I'm like, oh, I get a minion. <laughs> well, we don't have enough. That's right. We don't have enough in any of our games. <laughs> um, but with the talents, if you specialize... Uh, mm-hmm. So nerding out for a second, you know, you have all of the different disciplines that you had all the way going back to like second edition. And so if you specialize in psychoportation, you're a nomad. All of your psychoportation powers cost one less PowerPoint. Yeah. Ooh. So up yeah. up to zero. Right. Yes. So you can do certain things. So, yes. yeah. But you can play a soul blade, I believe, uh, if you do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And that's that to me, that's what stood out. It wasn't one particular power. Mm-hmm. It was you've got six disciplines. Depending how you pick it, you could be the support guy, frontline melee, the healer. You can pick what you want to do with this character. It's not, okay, this is a fighter class or this is just a support class. Um I mean, you you can be a fate weaver melee fighter, but it, for one session, really. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, so yeah, but, but this one you can make 
a viable melee character. It's like, oh, yes, I'm just wearing street clothes. Flop. No, I've got a mental blade that I'm going to cut you with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's what kind of character do you want to play? And yeah. yeah, I think that's that's been a theme through all of these. has been very flavorful depending on what you want. Yeah. yeah. And the, the powers that kind of stood out to me is I liked, I was with you, there were so many, that, <laughs> but some of them are multidiscipline, basically, depending on what you picked as your talent, that mm-hmm. flavors the use of the power. Mm-hmm. Psychic armor and, and psychic weapon being kind of the two ones that jump to mind. What about you two? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I think of all of the classes, this one probably didn't grab me as strongly as some of the others. And maybe it's just because I don't have a, a long history in D&D and don't have much to, to even base like an imagination of psionics on. But I did really like the whole ectoplasmic theme of things and being able to just, you know, create weapons or effects or golems or copies of yourself um, out of ectoplasm and then have them have whatever effect is and then just dissolve into a pile of goo. I, I was thinking in reading through kind of that theme thinking of the green lantern where he's only bound by his imagination Mm -hmm. and with that aspect i think that it would be very i think be a lot of fun to play at the table and just being able to lean into that imagination piece of it i'd I'd multi-class and be a lurker thief because lurkers get to go invisible Uh, based mm -hmm. on your md so go invisible move around sneak attack oh i'm invisible I'm going to pick your pocket with my mind. Right. right. I steal his pants. <laughs> yeah. It, it was definitely one of those that I was, as I was looking at all the talents and powers, I'm sitting there going, I have to actually know what my character is going to be because there are so many options here. But in reading through it, that's what you wanted to play in the next 13th age yes. game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, you can meditate like you talk, but there's another cool one called self-cannibalization. Mm Or you spend a recovery, but instead of healing, you regain power points. So for me, this kind of brings back something that I always loved in second, third, and fourth edition to 13th age. What about, do you guys, what do you guys feel this class kind of brings that's different or unique to the available pool? Well, I think, Becca, you mentioned this. There's a little bit of a sci-fi theme to this. And I think that if if I was going to run more of... um, not so much a fantasy-based 13th Age game, but something that has a little bit more of that technical or technology aspect to it, uh, I think the Cyan could really shine in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it brings back a class that was in past editions. People love it. If you want to be kind of like a saucer, but you don't want to be a saucer, but you want to do the same effects, Cyan's a person. Or if you want to be a healer that's, yeah, I don't really want to get into the you know the priestess and the god, you can be a Cyan healer. They do pretty good healing in here. But it's not, like you said, it's balanced. It's nice. It's not overdone. Yeah, it's interesting to hear Martin's comment that he designed it to make it so that the Scion wants to spend all of their power points in one go and then go, oh. Now i got to run up and punch something. Three oh. more combat encounters. Yeah. Just wait, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the next one in the book is The Savage. And Mark, why don't you give us an overview of that one? So, <clears throat> the savage, so he's the angry warrior, um, kind of like a barbarian, but it's it's set up different than that. And it's really you just, you're, well, kind of goes into the, the core mechanic, you frenzy, mm-hmm. and you gather frenzy points to spend instead of going into a rage. So, it's a, it's a slightly different take on the on the barbarian type of character, if that's what you want to play, but not quite the barbarian. Right, I kind of see more. that Martin kind of got this, like, okay, somebody wanted to play a barbarian, but not quite, I don't like these rules, can we do this? Shifted it and became the savage. Maybe something a little bit more complex, kind of like what they did with the Berserker in 13th Age. Yes. Which I know we go to Malazan quite a bit on this podcast, but it reminds me of Akarium in Malazan where his anger builds he, and builds and then explodes out. So what's kind of the core feature of the... It's it's frenzy. You build frenzy points. Uh, you have good, you know, like a barbarian, you can get a lot of hit points. You don't carry too much in the way of, of armor. Well, and they're not just frenzy points; they're frenzy dice. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's yes, extra that's D4. A, yeah. It's that point. It's it's a, the frenzy dice that you can do things, but you you build your frenzy to, right. and you can only have more than three times whatever the die is. Um, so you're not going to get a ton of a them. ton of them, but you build them, spend them, and whatever you're not recover. spending, you're using as damn extra damage dice. Mm-hmm. Yes, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Yeah. So again, even that's a, a, a character balance choice. 
am I going to expend these or am I going to deal a little bit extra damage this right. time? Mm-hmm. And a D4 isn't a lot of extra damage, no, but, but the, it's enough I, to make the, the character or the player pause and yeah. ask himself or herself, what do I really want to do this turn? Well, and that's yeah. interesting because all of them have had interesting mechanical choices. Mm-hmm. The Fate Weaver, do I use focus on this? The mm-hmm. Scion, do I use my PowerPoints? Here, do I spend you can because you can also spend them to heal, right? Yes, there's frenzy healings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. You can spend them on powers or you can spend them on frenzy healing. So it's not mindless rage. You just kind of get into you really shouldn't have started this fight with us because now things are gonna die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of like Icarum. Yeah. Icarium. I carry him. That's I carry how I pronounce him. him. I carry him. Maybe we should ask, just how do you pronounce these? Something I really found humorous about the Savage was they had your basic melee attack and your basic ranged attack, and then they had your basic ranged attack with thrown weapons. Mm -hmm. So you get to add your frenzy dice to your thrown weapons versus a bow. You don't get to. Right. Um, And just in my mind, that was the idea of somebody picking up a bench and chucking it. (laughs) Benches get stuff done. Yes, they do. They do. Uh, I really liked the talent or the the power throat ripper. (laughs) If you hit, you do your weapon plus strength damage. You don't get to add your frenzy dice to damage, but your frenzy dice damage are ongoing damage. (laughs) And the champion feat is now it's a hard save to get rid of that. I really liked that ability. Mm -hmm. I like the uh, spine chilling roar uh, where you target a D4 plus one nearby enemies or all nearby mooks. And if you succeed, they're all dazed until the start of your next turn and will flee if able to. That's a Conan. But what I see in that also is lots of hooks for consequences. Right. Because when monsters flee, you know they'll be back with friends. Right. With bigger friends. And maybe your roar won't be big enough next time. Right. Mine is a seventh level power called Harbinger of Death. Weapon plus strength plus frenzy damage. On a natural even hit. Spend one frenzy die and make another melee attack. Keep attacking till you roll an odd or run out of frenzy dice. So if you can keep rolling evens, you just you are yeah your friends your things are going to die because yeah. I'm going to hit and hit and hit as long mm-hmm. as the dice. Did you notice you. that the picture for the savage has a dwarf with a wrench? I did. I, I just saw pointed that out to too. Becca. It's like he has a wrench, yes. just like Drawl. <laughs> Drawl's is bigger and on fire, but yes, you should get that looked at. Big in. flaming wrench. <laughs> What about you? He needs to get a second tail looked at. (laughs) (laughs) He really does. Um, I didn't have any specific power that like necessarily jumped out to me. Again, we've got great names for all these talents and powers. Um, But I just really like the idea of the frenzy pool, gaining dice and either fueling your powers or having to spend the dice for the powers or doing damage or healing. Like there's just flexibility in that. You don't always have to do the same thing. I'd be curious to see this actually play at the table um, because when I consider that most combat encounters usually are only lasting three or four rounds, by the time this character would get a, a fair amount of frenzy dice, the battle might be over. So I, I'm, I would be curious to see, and I know that, that he did a really a, good job of playtesting this. So It could be I, a balancing mechanic, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you build the frenzy, but the frenzy is treated... Like a weapon. So if it's like strength plus weapon damage, it's strength plus weapon plus your frenzy die that you're going to roll mm-hmm. if you decide to use your frenzy dice. Right. That's why it's in here. You'll see it all caps. Frenzy is like weapon. So you're doing more damage, but you're spending the frenzy on that. Right. Which is nice that it's limited because it's not, oh, I can build up and build up and now, okay, I'm going to take the whole horde on by myself because I've got all these dice. You're kind of limited in how many you have. And some of the powers cost frenzy dice to use. Yeah, like some are, some don't, but some use, yeah, have to use yeah. a point just to use the power. And so. yeah, not, not a frenzy point, but an actual frenzy dice that you take out, yeah, of, takes your out of your pool. Yeah, yep. Goes and that's away. a D4 or when you go higher, I think it goes up to a D6. D6 and then D8, D8, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, you can take an entire dice out or you can spend that and possibly gain eight more hit points. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I like that Martin into these has on his riffs and variations, like specifically for this one, he's like, hey, you may be tempted to mix berserker talents and barbarian talents in here, but you really need to keep them separate because the barbarian talents are more powerful overall and could unbalance things. So they get, he gives you some like good playtest feedback, I feel like here 
on all of the classes. Yeah, and when I was thinking about what what would this class bring to the table that some of the other core classes aren't, I think I would run this as a more mechanically advanced version of the barbarian mm-hmm. um, whereas and we've talked about when we did the barbarian review it's the simplest class that you can play there's there's not a lot mm-hmm. to it i think this takes that same concept and adds another mechanical layer to it um like a barbarian level two almost mm-hmm. so for the person who wants to go running in and break everything up this just kind of gives them a bit more than okay you can hack and slash yeah right. you can hack slash and frenzy and do this and yeah Mm-hmm. Now you had mentioned, JM, that uh, one of your favorite classes is the Sword Mage, and that was one of the things that first clued you in that this book was in existence. Yes. Um, you want to tell us about the Sword Mage? Well, and I'm also playing one in the 13th Age Iconic game. When I'm not running the 13th Age Iconic game, I don't always play 13th Age, but when I do, I play a Sword Mage. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the Sword Mage is a concept that existed in second edition really shined in third edition and i think kind of was the best in fourth and martin has kind of pulled that out so sword mage you are a spell casting fighter you kind of channel your spells into your weapon but the main mechanic here is sigils you get a couple of them depending on how you build your character and basically Where the paladin has paladin's challenge and the fighter has, I think it's called opportunist, you know, where they can make multiple attacks of opportunity. This class has the sigil. And so basically you mark somebody with your sigil and if they attack anyone but you, you get to punish them in some mechanical way. Either you teleport to them and make an attack or they take ongoing damage or you reduce the damage that your ally is taking. It, it takes kind of the tank concept or the protector concept and kind of expands upon it by giving you an interesting mechanical choice every round to kind of see who is the big guy that I need to draw attention off. So, like, I'm thinking of the battle on the bridge yesterday. Mm-hmm. The sword mage could have switched his sigil to the big... Brute. Uh, yeah, the uh, bugbear brute that was attacking our chaos mage and said, all right, you can continue to attack him, but if you do... There are consequences. And what's interesting is it it actually, we said there's been interesting choices for each of the classes. This provokes an interesting choice for the DM. Much like in fourth edition, we're marking whatever the the tank class had a mark, you know, had marked in different ways. This is the same thing. This is you going to the GM. Okay, who are you going to attack? Is it worth attacking? Maris the cleric, because if you do, if you don't attack me, I'm going to get to do something. And all the DM has to do is attack the sword mage, and this thing never comes into play. Mm. That never is how it goes. Now you still would have smacked our chaos mage because it went, oh, yeah, it was, it went bad it was, quickly. It was. <laughs> um, now you are a you are a spellcaster, so you don't have a lot of armor, but they, you know, you have class features like mage armor, which kind of gives you a magical shield and you can build either a two handed or a one handed sword mage. If you've played third or fourth edition, a lot of this is going to seem very familiar. Well, as I was reading through this one, it kind of struck me that this is probably what everybody dreams of playing when they think about making their first character. I want to be able to hit something and cast a spell just Mm -hmm. like all those fantasy books or games or movies that I've seen. And then when you really get down to it, you realize maybe you don't want to do that. But when you first ask people about what kind of character in their mind, they're like, I want to have a sword and I want to be able to cast magic. Let's do Mm -hmm. this. It was interesting. A lot of the times that I go in looking at a class and examining, like try to envision how is this going to play out in combat? It's nine times out of 10, like what is the offensive element for this? Mm -hmm. And what I saw in reading through this is there is a very strong defensive element Mm -hmm. to the sword mage. Um, The fact that you're able to quickly, you know, teleport in and around the the combat field, um, defending your allies. I mean, because you could, as a quick action... You could mark one enemy, and then whenever it attacks someone else, you can pop in and make an attack on it. And then on your next turn, you can mark a different one. I mean, you could really be popping all over that combat field, defending all of your allies. And uh, I thought that was a really, I thought that was something that it added to the the game mm-hmm. that wasn't there previously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can pop around. I mean, and you don't have to if you don't envision that. You can shield them to where they take half damage, or it'll blur them so they take minuses. So, but yeah, you're trying to protect 
in this case, Maris or our Chaos Mage because they're soft and squishy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. believe me, once you got a bunch of mooks and players because I ran the online game and Jam had his sword mage and I completely forgot who was marked and he reminded me. <laughs> no, I, he's marked. I reminded I'm pop you over every there time. And, yeah. Well, with that, um, the champion feat for targeting includes entire mook groups yeah. mm-hmm. instead of just a single one. So once you get that champion feat, like that entire group has to attack me or else. I recommend bringing tokens to the table. They, they all died. <laughs> that was a, that was the first the first disappearance of Mooks was oh yeah they didn't they didn't attack the sword maid so oh, oops yeah he attacked and kobolds went away <laughs> well in addition to sigils one of my favorite powers is enchant item it's a recharge eleven plus but for the rest of the fight you have a true magic weapon and it counts as plus one to hit and damage because you're a sword mage and you're bonded with your weapon and so you can call on that. Spirit within the blade, or channel your energy into it, and yeah, and Martin didn't uh, talk about quirks along with that um, power, but I think that if I was running it as a GM, I would want to try to play that up because that's one of the things of Thirteenth Age that the true magic items have their mm-hmm. own sentience, they have their own quirks that then are portrayed in the character, um, and I think that. If a sword mage is going to be empowering their own weapon, I think there should be some sort of strange quirk that suddenly pops up. As the player, I would push that back to you as well and say, well, if you're going to give me the quirk, give me the extra ability too. Mm. Because not just the plus one, not just the plus one to hit and damage. But if you want me to play up the quirk, which I will, I'm going to bargain for, well, let it, you know, because all the true magic items also have that extra ability sure. they do. And in, instead of just the plus one to hit and yeah. Well, then, and that'd be a fun, like maybe a D6 table to, oh, to yeah. create. Oh, yeah, that up. That would be awesome. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of feats, uh, that was th- probably the first thing in this book that I found that was maybe a little bit unbalanced, and that was the Sigil Mastery talent, um, where if you take the feats for that, you gain... So, so Sigil Mastery gives you an additional sigil, mm-hmm. but then you, as you take the Adventurer, Champion, and Epic feats, that gives you all of the Adventure feats oh. for all of your sigils. Mm-hmm all of the champion feats for all Mm -hmm. of the the sigils and all of the epic feats. And especially when you're looking at uh, by the time you get to epic tier, you only get, even at 10th level, you're only getting a total of three feats to choose from. But you would also then have four sigils that you could use. And -hmm. this would give you those four epic feats and... Two others. When I was when I was looking at that, I I thought about that briefly as well because I was making my character that way. But if you think about it, you're giving up a talent to do that, and you're only ever going to have one sigil in play at a time. And when you look at say like the druid, the druid for elemental casting has something similar because you're only ever going to have one of these elemental spells in or the train spells. I think is what it was. You're only going to ever be in a situation where one of these things is active at a time. So if you take the elemental caster feat or the train caster feat, it gives you access to all of the terrain adventure tier terrain feats because you know, it's not like rage where I'm basically going to rage all the time. So I can see, like, I had the same thought, but in reality, you're only ever going to have one of them active at a time, and you're basically giving up a talent and a feat to get that breath, or you don't take that one, you do something else. Right. I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts? Yeah, I, I saw that, too. I was like, wow, you get all of them. I didn't do the break down the math. And- mm-hmm. I was I was just ask, going to ask you, JM, because you built your sword mage at level four to begin with, right? You didn't mm-hmm. start with level one. Was it, did you find it more difficult to... Because you had more options right away Mm -hmm. or, I mean, because you're sitting there and you're missing out, quote unquote, missing out on going, okay, here's where I'm starting at and what I'm going to build off of. No, not really. I feel like 13th age you have so, I don't want to say, this is not a negative thing, but you have so, you have a lot fewer choices than say you would in D&D or basically any version of D. I like the bounded creativity. Any other thoughts on... I like the skull blade. Typical sword mages get arcane spells, wizard sorcerer. Skull blade, you get necromancy. And you don't, if you take the feat, you don't get the... Well, no, you need the feat, but you, you starting at first level, you can choose one necromancer spell at your level without the two-level penalty. Mm-hmm. So... Right, because you get access to arcane spells at third level that you can switch out sword mage spells for. But then I like the... Then you get death knell... With yeah. the adventurer, so you can kind of like steal someone, steal a little energy, and then at champion, you're like, 
yeah, I totally have a minion as well. Like, <laughs> I also like Wandering Sword Mage, where it's, hey, you get a three-point background, you get the linguist feat. Once per day when fighting a named enemy, I get to, you get to make an intelligence check to see if I know anything about this person. And if you do, you increase the escalation die by one. <laughs> I've learned long ago not to name well, yeah, in Mark's game, it wouldn't actually ever come up. Because named people die in the first round. <laughs> well, the last class is another throwback class, if you will. Came in, in at the tail end of 3rd edition, middle to late end of 3rd edition, in 4th and in 5th edition is the Warlock. That person who has magic, not because of learning, not because of any inherent ability, but because... They know the right people. They made a deal. And I actually have one of these in our 13th Age game, our weekly 13th Age game. Yes. And this one is kind of complicated in the fact that you have much like... And I can't even think of a really... you uh, Their powers are broken down in by level and whether they are blasts, cursed, or hexes. And each one has a set... Like all curses function the same way. So I'm making, I made a cheat sheet that has, this is what blast means. This is what hex means. This is what curse means. But basically you have a pact. And what was interesting to me is unlike kind of what the warlock used to be when it first came out, where it was kind of like an infernal pack, they have, they have the packs with all of the icons, which is amazing. Like the, the warlock that we have in our game made a pact with the Lich King. It's not an infernal pact. It's a it's like a necromantic pact. You have blast spells. But if you curse someone, cuz you could you could go strictly focused and say I'm going to do all blast. Well, there's a there's advantages to spreading out. If an enemy is suffering from your curse, you can hit him easier. And there's there's a feedback loop that they've kind of made that encourages you to spread out a little bit. The book describes the warlock as a tactical spellcaster. Like it's not just the hit it from a distance it's curse it then hit hit it and mm-hmm. reap the benefits especially if you have somebody who's got a tough md and your saucer's not doing much you like, yeah, i'm gonna curse you it's like yeah. lowering their ac for the fighter so sometimes it's easier <laughs> what did you guys think about this one it was interesting that you said that you thought it was a more complex class because i thought it was a more simple magic casters class um and the main reason for that is while you have different levels of spells you're always casting the spell at whatever level you're at Mm -hmm. you're not trying to juggle well i've got two first level and three second or third level it's i've got five spells and i'm fifth level so they're all going to be fifth level spells um and then it's just a matter of choosing, you know, what combination of curses, hexes, and blasts that you want right. to, to do. I really did like the very strong narrative aspect to the pacts. Um, basically, if you're going to expend that daily power, you're going to get that benefit. And the GM is going to be able to loop that back around and say the icon is going to call in that favor at some point. Mm-hmm. It's like a little a stronger five, if you will. Right. Well, and in that there's a talent, I believe that's called double cross and you get two packs and then it's a matter of, are you playing them against each other? Cause that's totally going to work for you. <laughs> Don't worry about anything or, you know, are they somewhat on the same side and you can try to align them. But I mean, a GM can really enjoy messing with the player there. Yeah. I like the warlocks familiar. Yes. It is a superior version of a familiar. <laughs> well, rounding out the book, Martin also gives one f- talent for each of the classes that ties them back to one of the book's classes. To- he takes each one of the core classes and provides a talent for that core class that ties it into one of the classes or abilities or talents right. or whatever um, uh, from this book. Mm-hmm. So you could play a rogue and give up one of your talents to also have a warlock pact, or you could be a fighter with a mutation from the abomination. And then he ends the book with, I want to say, nearly 10 pages of magic items. Yeah. For the classes in here. Yeah. And he adds uh, two chakras, crystals and graphs, which are specifically targeted to scions and abominations. Mm-hmm. So that second tail you get actually gives you yeah. a bonus. That's yeah, right. exactly. It's magical. As players, which class would be your number one? I want to give this one a shot. Well, obviously scion, because that's, that's what I'm here. playing. Yeah, I'm playing a, a sword mage, so now I want to try the scion out. Right. I mean, but then after that, I don't know, Fate Weaver felt really f- interesting in order to break that fourth wall. I'd, I'd go Fate Weaver. Yeah. What about you, Mark? 
Savage. Nice. I like the warrior types. Yeah. Is there anything you would not allow at your table if you if you were running a group that was experienced with 13th Age, is there anything you would not allow at the table? I'm looking at you, Mark, because I know you're starting with people who are basically... They're, they're fairly new, yeah. yeah. I, and sometimes I just joke, yeah, there's nothing wrong with any of these. I'd let them go. They seem, they seem well. Okay. I'm kind of interested in the Paladin Fallen Soul. That might have to... We have a little bit of a Warlock... Come in. Yeah, yeah, warlock Ooh. abilities. Might come in the future in our weekly game. Yeah. Right. Um, love Maybe to that's see it's it. really inside this massive metal construct. That's what they made here. Yeah. Well, cool. General thoughts, positive for the book? Positive. Yeah. yeah very so what's positive. it cost? Well, you can you can get it at Drive Through RPG. We're gonna put a link to it in our show notes. It's twelve dollars for the PDF. And then if you want to get it in print, depending on the quality that you want it at, Drive Through tends to offer like standard or premium colors. And basically it, the difference is I have a number of books that were printed at both standard and premium standards, a little bit thinner paper. So the colors are not as bright. Premium is thicker paper. Everything looks gorgeous. It runs between like 20 and 35 bucks, depending on the options you pick. I have a physical copy. I think I got the standard shipping for a table copy it's a great copy of the book uh, nick pointed out martin rolled this into the srd right so if you go to 13th age srd.com um, all of these classes with powers abilities talents feats all of that um, are available for free there uh, um, going there i mean you don't get the additional uh, class talents for the core books um, and you don't get any of the magic items um, and you don't have it in a real nicely consolidated printed format or pdf, or PDF format, format. Yeah. Um, but it is there. Well, and I would say, you know, go out and check it out on the SRD, but Martin's putting out another book that's coming out soon, which he is going, which is going to expand the talents and feats and powers for the core classes. And if you end up using it and liking it, 12 bucks, pretty great price to pay to support a guy who's designing some top quality 13th age stuff. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, yeah. and... Nick, you're converting some of them into fantasy grounds modules, correct? Uh, that's correct. I've I'm done with the abomination and the sword mage um, classes, so those are available as free modules for fantasy grounds. Uh, so you can import those in, load them up, and you've got the full write up and all the powers. You can just drag and drop them onto your character sheet. Cool. And I'm working on. I, I will be working on the rest of them as time allows. Awesome. Well, I think that's a wrap. And if you'd like to support the show. You can do so by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash iconic podcast or by using our Amazon referral link, which you can find in our show notes or on our website to do your online shopping. Well, you've been listening to the iconic podcast. If you have any questions, comments or feedback, you can contact us at iconic at gmail.com or call and leave a voicemail at 720-924-1706. And be sure to check out iconicpodcast.com for news, updates, and new episodes. Thanks for listening.